Hi, everybody. Billy Holting here. Thanks for tuning in. This is our 13th episode, and we welcome guitarist John Knowles. John is a Grammy and Emmy-nominated guitarist who is given the title Certified Guitar Player by Chet Atkins. He has some great stories and insights about playing the guitar music in general. Check out the show notes for the links we talk about. As always, the Jazz Roundtable is recorded in front of a live internet audience. I've edited a bit from the original, but all the good stuff is still here from the live show. The shows are free, but if you'd like to leave us a little something in the tip jar, please go to live at zerobpm.com slash tip jar. And note, live at zerobpm.com is spelled live, A-T-Z-E-R-O-B-P-M.com. You can also tip on Venmo at... Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. We always love it if you subscribe and leave a review as that really helps us spread the word. I want to make the show better and you can help. So feel free to send ideas to podcast at live at zero bpm.com. Thank you and have fun listening. Welcome to the Jazz Roundtable brought to you by Live at Zero BPM with your host, Grammy Award winning percussionist and mallet player, Billy Holting. Tonight's guest, John Knowles. If you care to donate, click on the donate slash tip jar link in the description or on our website at live at zero bpm.com slash tip jar. You can also tip on Venmo at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. And now, let's get to the music with your host, Billy Halting. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Jazz Roundtable. Number, lucky number 13. And we have uh, an amazing guest tonight. John Knowles is a guitar player. He is a certified guitar player. We're going to tell you what that means in a little bit. But I, like, I just want to say hi to everybody who's out there. Hi in, uh, in uh, podcast land. If you're listening to this, you can still tip on the archive if you're watching this later. Or you can tip now or you can tip on the podcast. Just go to live at zerobpm.com. And that A-T is A-T. Not the at symbol. It's live, A-T-Z-E-R-O-B-P-M.com. So, you know, we here at uh, Live at Zero BPM uh, are all entirely tip-based. It is uh, listener-supported, as we say. And if you have any questions, if you're out there, I already see people in the chat rooms. And if you have questions for John, I'm sure they'll come up during the show. Type them in. I'm going to monitor that while I'm talking to John and doing all this fun stuff. But, you know, let's uh, let's just get to the music. Let's bring in Mr. John Knowles. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, Billy? Doing <laughs> fine here in Nashville. I, I haven't turned on my audience machine yet, so uh, let's see. Oops, oops, oops. Welcome to professional show business. There's always something I... <laughs> and there's the audience. We love you. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes. I, I, so, uh, so, John, let's just jump right into this. You're a guitar player, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, uh, I started out... Uh, I've, just, I've been a, a musician of sorts my whole life. My earliest memories are walking up to a piano and pushing a key to see what would happen, you know, and being delighted by what I heard. And then... Uh, at some point, I think my, my dad kind of realized I was really into it and arranged for me to take accordion lessons. Wow. So it's definitely, definitely a stepping stone on the way to being a guitar player. Yeah. You know? But it turned out it was because my teacher really taught me the notes and the chords and how to play the scales and lots of cool tunes. So, matter of fact, when I finally got to the guitar, my first tune was I could play this. Our Lady of Spain, right? The you know? patron saint of accordionists. <laughs> <laughs> but it really turned out that he was one of the best music teachers I ever encountered. Uh, he had a big effect on me as a musician, but also later as a as a teacher. The way he would dangle red meat, you know, and make you want to practice and stuff like that. Yeah. So. 
Well, it's interesting. So, so many guests we've had on, the instrument that they're known for is not their original instrument, but a lot of it traces back to that it was a good music teacher. It wasn't necessarily yes. the instrument. It was the fact they had such a solid bass in music. So you started on accordion, and uh, but you came from a, a kind of a musical family or a family, you say, that likes to make music. Loved music, yeah. I don't think I had any professional musicians. Uh, mm-hmm. I had an uncle who sang in a kind of a civic glee club. That's probably the closest. But uh, my dad and my granddad both preachers, so there was always the church choir and the organist and the piano. Mm-hmm. And my dad loved classical music. My mom loved country music. I had an uncle who was in Paris when uh, it was liberated in World War II. Wow. And he was part of the group that went looking for Django. Yeah, he didn't mm-hmm. find him, you know. But So I was aware of Django as a person mm-hmm. uh, pretty early on. Wow. And then how did the transition go from accordion to guitar? You know, I uh, uh, had a paper route, had a little money, and I went to a local drugstore, and one of those plastic ones was hanging there, you know, mm-hmm. alongside all the toy soldiers and everything else. And... Um, I bought it. I had a choice for three ninety nine. I could get a ukulele, or for four ninety nine, I could get it with the Arthur uh, Godfrey chord button thing, you know, which made it like an auto harp. And I thought I need a dollar more than I need the, the automatic chord maker. And so I got the cheap version and went home. And I saw that they had you know three chords on that piece of paper, uh-huh. and I thought there's more than that. I know, you know. So I I went looking to see where the others were. Uh, I remember one of the first ones I found was, I think it came with what they called a C chord, which would have been up here. Mm-hmm. That was a KP note. And then they had this one and that one. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was, I knew there was this one, right? Because I, I did, I'm high to get you in a taxi, honey, I'll be by. And I had to figure that one out because it wasn't in the little slip of paper. So oh. I became uh you know, I did research with that slip of paper, but I also became uh, self-taught as yeah. early as I could. And how much crossover? I mean, was there any crossover from accordion to guitar? Uh, I'd say that uh, the accordion, uh, even to this day, I still kind of visualize music because on, on the, the buttons on the bass side mm-hmm. uh, were like flat keys that way and sharp keys up this way. So it's organized like the circle of fifths, and mm-hmm. there's a row of major and a row of minor, right. and every button has a third above and a fifth up this way and a fourth down that way. So you kind of know how music is organized uh, that way. Every now and then, Tommy Emanuel will see me uh, waving my hands while I talk about music, and he'll say, are you playing air accordion? <laughs> and I think I might be. <laughs> oh, interesting. Do you, now, do you ever play anymore? Now, I, I picked one up, and I, it, I know what to do, but I, I don't think anybody would pay me to do it. So. Ah, okay. So, uh, but you have a story about that, your first ukulele, and and what oh yes, to it. <laughs> well I took it everywhere, and uh-huh. uh, we took it. We, I grew up in Houston, and so I took it with me to Galveston, the beach, uh-huh. and I I left it in the back seat and put a put a blanket over it, you know, and one of my brothers came back to the car and was looking for something, and put my ukulele up on the rear deck in the back seat, mm-hmm. and then we all hung out at the beach, and it turned into a mess. Oh. And and so it's interesting. My two brothers were arguing over which one of them did it. Uh, my mom, my mom, dad was saying, "We'll get you another one." Mom was saying, uh, "You messed up the top deck of the car," <laughs> and I was just in tears. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, <laughs> but it was it was a moment, though. For sure. I'm sure. But now that wasn't. Now we think of plastic ukulele. We think of a toy. But this was actually right. tell the story. This was made oh, by yeah. a Luther. 
I found out later that uh, Django's guitar guitar builder mm-hmm. uh, got into a line of building plastic instruments after the war, and he built violins and guitars and ukuleles. And so those plastic ukuleles from the fifties are uh, they're uh, McAfee built instruments. Mm-hmm. So they're really designed. Uh, it played well in tune. The frets mm-hmm. were bolted in; they were plastic, but it played in tune uh, and it had a good sound. And and I wish I still had it, you know. It'd be worth a lot on eBay these days. I'm sure. Now, after that, did you get a guitar to replace it? it Well, what happened is I I rode my bicycle to the local uh, record store. And back then, you know, we think of guitar having uh, this guitar that has adjectives, rock guitar, classic guitar, jazz. They just had a bin in the record store that said guitar. And in that bin, no, on the the little tab above. You know, so now you flip through that bin and you would see Segovia, uh, you'd see uh, Barney Kessel, you'd see Jim Hall, you'd see Charlie Bird, Carlos Montoya. There was no categorization at all. Right. And then in the middle of that was uh, Chad Atkins, and I thought, and he had that orange Gretsch. Mm, and I yeah. read the liner notes, and it says, "You won't believe this is just one guy." So I I broke my piggy bank and I bought that record, and I went home and I found out that our turntable would not play. Uh, LPs, it would play 45s and 78s. So I had to go to a neighbor's house to play it. And I, after I wore out my welcome at my neighbor's house, I sprung for a turntable to go with my album. I just loved it so much, you know. And, uh, you know, I tell you, the other thing I really remember thinking, this is impossible. You know, I was trying to figure out what he was doing. And I remember saying to myself, well, it couldn't be impossible because he's doing it, but I bet it's really hard. And I got to tell you, that flipping mindset from impossible to really hard is huge, you know, because what we do is not impossible. In ca- some cases, it is difficult mm-hmm. and it's tricky to learn how to do it. But there's a path from I can't do it to I can do it. Which, and it's, yeah, to, it starts with I can't do it yet. <laughs> and yet is a big word. <laughs> that's a really important thing because we have people that watch the show and, and that sometimes <clears throat> ask questions about the process. And we're going to talk about getting into playing jazz and the different technical stuff, but that's such a big deal. You know, there's a lot of people go, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that, and they're just convincing themselves to not be able to do it. So yeah, I love that yeah. mindset. It's like, yeah, it's hard. It's going to take some time, but I can get to it. So uh, anyway. I, the, think, uh, I feel very, you know, I talk about it every now and people say, oh, you're so talented because you can play. And I think if I have any gifts, it's almost that, the fact that I had confidence in myself mm-hmm. and the fact that I love music and the fact that I didn't mind uh, rolling up my sleeves and getting to work, those things are my gifts. The result is the music you hear, you know. So. Oh, yeah. We could do a whole episode just on uh, <laughs> don't, don't get, forget talent. It's, yeah, it's, you know, not, it's hard, not critical. It's hard yeah. work. If you look at people that are great, they're more often uh, freaks of commitment than they are freaks of talent. You know, or yeah. musically, whether it's sports or music or whatever they're into, uh, that sort of thing. And, and I tell you, you know, you were talking about improvising, uh, and I don't think of myself as an improvising player. I do think of myself as an improviser when I'm working at home. Mm-hmm. But usually, by the time I perform, I have it about eighty percent, you know, worked out. But I've, as uh, time has passed, and I've gotten around Tommy, and then last night again with Muriel, I found myself just 
make enough stuff, you know. So yeah. maybe I was wrong. Maybe I am an improviser. You know? Well, it's interesting <laughs> because I know you come from more of a finger-picking country background, but I yeah. see you on stage with Tommy to think, oh, that guy's a jazz player because of the, the tunes yeah. you play, the repertoire you do, which we'll get into with your, your finger-style quarterly and all your other things. Mm -hmm. A lot of those examples and videos you have are jazz tunes. You know, yeah. and you're playing mm -hmm. with a real finger style. So I'm gonna, but this first question that I get from Jim, he's Jim Rolf, sorry. He mm -hmm. says he'd like to know more about your guitar and how you maintain your nails. Ah, Can we get okay. a close up on well, the nails there? Uh, no, I'll just if I can do this. Uh, but they, they look like, they, oh, well, I have to wave my arm in the wrong direction. Now that's, they look maybe like a quarter of an inch long there, mm -hmm. you know, from the outside. But yeah. if you turn them around, they're just barely hanging over the edge of my fingertip. Oh, okay. Can, yeah, we can kind and, of see that. Yeah, and it's if if you could see from where the guitar sees them, they don't they don't stick up very much. They don't look long from the string side. Right. This is as, probably as long as they ever are. Uh, and what I'm doing is when I touch the string, uh, I'm first thing it touches it is flesh, mm -hmm. and then the nail is on the string, and then depending on. Let me see if I can do this. If I lean my finger this way or that way, I get more or less flesh and nail. So if I play a couple of notes with these two fingers, it can sound like this. And it's what I'm doing. I think of uh, like a singer would have different oh, we are, oh, oh, vowels, you know, in their voice. So the bright sound is like an E and the dark sound is like O. Oh. Uh, and then uh, the other thing, Carlos, you got is you can get near the bridge and closer to the fingerboard. Uh, but all those things, uh, and, and also on thumb, uh, as uh, my good friend Eddie Pennington says, that John Knowles, he plays with a naked thumb. So <laughs> almost everybody else that I hang out with plays with a thumb pick, which puts your thumb like this. Right. You know, but because I'm playing more like this, my hand looks more like a classical player than it does a thumb picker. So that my nail can still hit, you know, the string like that. Okay. Well, would you like to play a little something for us? Oh yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Uh, and and the guitar, I'll, tell you, I'll come back and say more about the guitar. But it's uh, built by Kirk Sand out in Laguna Beach, mm -hmm. and uh, I love Kirk's known me for a long time, and this is probably the third or fourth guitar he's built for me. Uh, but he's also fixed all my guitars a lot, so he's real familiar with my instruments and with me as a player. So I've always called this our guitar, you know. Let's see here. Um, what are you going to play for us? I think I'll play, uh, you know, I, I'm going to play a tune I wrote for Lenny Bro okay. called uh, Lately. And I wrote this about uh, a year after his death, and I was just missing him. Uh -huh. And I do this a lot. I, I'll write one line of lyrics that say what to me what the song feels like. Uh, lately I've been feeling lonely. Lately I've been feeling blue. Lately I've been missing you. Oh. So that's kind of the rhythm of the melody and, and the, the atmosphere. So, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to play, my thumb is going to be like a bass player. My two fingers are going to be like a rhythm guitar player. Let me see if I can get a little more fingers in my picture here. You've seen my face now, right? So... Yeah. So. And then my ring finger can play like a singer. Okay. And okay. so here comes uh, here comes lately. Okay. <clears throat>
All right, there's the crowd. Uh, that was beautiful. And you load Thank the you. I have a little video of you. Let me get me back to the screen here. Uh, I have a little video of you, a song that you uh, you wrote called Blues Brews? Bros. Blues Bro, yeah. Blues Bros. Uh, yeah, let me say let me say a word about that, oh, and then that. we'll play it. So, what I lots a lot of things I've picked up from Lenny. He would, if you'd ask him the question, he would tell you exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the answer, even though it was right on it, would also kind of blow right past you because you couldn't figure out how to do it. For instance, in lately, what I'm playing is quarter note triplets on top of regular one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. So there's three da 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 melody notes for every two rhythm notes. That sounds easy until you try to do it. You know? <laughs> With uh, the blues, what Lenny would do is he would play uh, like here's a here's a uh, C7 up here, and so what you got is the root, the seventh, and the third. So he'd play the third and the seventh and leave the root out. And if you come down a fret, you got F, and then go up here, you got C, and your G, F, C. It's like one, four, five, one. So now he would invert that and come down here, and then he could add things like a ninth above, and what short. So he would add other notes, and then he would play the scale on top of that. And that was kind of how he did the blues, get those, kind of like a piano player with melody and comping, you know, with the left hand. Right. So. If you, that's what I'm doing when you see Blues Bros. Okay. Crank it up. Let's hear. Let's hear for Blues Bros. Yeah. yeah. invite a horn player up to play with you. Now, notice what I'm leaving out is there is no one, four, and five in the mm -hmm. bottom like you would expect, you know, right. which means if there's a bass player playing with you, they've got all the freedom. And the thing that's funny, if you've got this kind of undefined chord mm -hmm. and you play the pentatonic scale on top, you'll hear this in your imagination. You'll fill it in. Right. Uh, because we've heard so much of that in our lives. And so right, right, right. that idea of leaving out something but leaving it implied is uh, at the heart of a lot of the stuff I learned, I think, from Lenny. Cool. Uh, well, let's let's move on to uh, your evolution. So you get the guitar, you're listening to uh, <laughs> Chet Atkins. Now, yeah. you, at the beginning, I, we may be jumping ahead a little bit, but you are uh, the CGP after your name. is uh, You're not a casting director. This means certified guitar player. <laughs> So yes. can you tell us what that means and where it comes from? Well, uh, it comes from uh, Chet changing his career direction so many times. You know, in the beginning, he was Chester Atkins and his galloping guitar. And then he becomes Chet Atkins, the country gentleman. And he's just, and then he becomes Mr. Guitar. So every, at every point, he's changing the style of music and he's trying to reach a different audience. And so... When he tried to reach out to a more contemporary, a little bit jazz-flavored audience, 
he came up with that CGP designation, and he didn't tell anybody what it meant. He just said it's CG, Chad Atkins CGP as if it was his degree or yeah. uh, something, something granted by the Queen or whatever, you know. And uh, so we started guessing what it was, and one of the guesses was certified guitar player. And he said, yeah, that could be it. <laughs> We found out later it was country guitar picker is oh. what he originally thought of. <laughs> so for a while he kind of uh, had CGP and his when he went when he changed labels and picked up you know started recording some with Earl Clue and George Benson and some of those guys and so mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's where it came from and then later on he um, the first time he did it it's so funny the first time he gave out one was to Jerry Reed. But he gave him a, a little uh, statue, and he said, I'm going to take this back if you don't start playing with a thumb pick again instead of a flat pick, you know. Because Jerry, Jerry started hearing George Benson, wanted okay. to play like George Benson. And so the second one, which was me, he called it the first one, because that's how, you know, unspecific okay. it was. And uh, mine, uh, well, I've got it sitting here. It looks like a, uh, like a proclamation, you know. With all this oh, whereas sure. and wherefore, I can't see you there. It there is like that, yeah. Oh, nice. And so it says, uh, you know, uh, whereas John Knowles uh, left financial security and gainful employment in the state of Texas <laughs> and moved his family to Nashville simply to Tennessee simply because he loved the guitar too much and so forth, you know. <laughs> and then it got out of the bottom. It says, uh, therefore, by the uh, wit, I, by the authority I grant myself, <laughs> I I award John this honorary CGP, and so that's mine. And then each one is different. Uh, Tommy's is, a, is a, looks like the Washington Monument. It's kind of a statue. Mm. Steve Warner's is a gold record-looking thing ah. with a with a big proclamation written on it. Well, I have to say, so, looking at that, that he also has some pretty impeccable handwriting. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. I think somebody somebody typed that for him. But yeah. he, he has an impeccable sense of humor, that's for sure. Oh, that's good. And then the other thing that he did, and what I love about it, he says, you know, Whereas John left his job and t picked up the guitar, I mean, that's really the story of me that he knows. So he's uh -huh. kind of, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's, it's a love letter between us to me, you know, it's not, it, uh, it, it's like the music degree I don't have at the same time, it's my pal saying nice stuff about me. So that's great. That's great. It's, it's very good. cool. So, uh, but we were talking about getting into it and actually we, we had discussed some more stuff about Lenny Bro. Uh, but how he got into guitar because he was a drummer also. That's right. He uh, he started with guitar, but what he did was he studied. He saw what what drummers were doing, where they had things going on with each hand and another rhythm with the foot, and there were you know four or five tracks of rhythm going on. Right. And so he tried to figure out how to get his thumb to do what the drummer's foot would do, mm -hmm. and how to get his fingers to do. Uh, what the drummer's hands would do. Oh, so he would like play paradiddle, 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 par like that, you know. Uh -huh. And that's where he figured out how to play the triplets and, and all those things. So a lot of those rhythmic things he did came from stu studying drum rudiments on the guitar as if it were a drum set. Mm. So th the thing is, Lenny was kind of one of those guys you, you had to tell him to look both ways to cross the street, you know. So real life was confusing to him, but musical life was like, he was deeply into it. I've never seen anybody. Uh, like it might have been to hang out with Vincent Van Gogh, you know. Yeah, interesting. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't trust him with a scalpel, but with a brush, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and Lenny Bros started out in the country world, didn't he? That's right. His family had a country band, and uh, and Chet actually knew about his mom and dad. 
because uh, they were on RCA label. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and as a matter of fact, the earliest stuff, uh, his dad is Hal Lone Pine Bro. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the uh, Atlantis booked as Lone Pine Jr. for a while. So he's probably 12 or 13 when he's playing with the band for the first time. So yeah. there's recordings of him that early. Wow, and then, but he got into the jazz. It's interesting. We just did uh, jazz his, history of the jazz guitar parts one and two recently, and they did mm-hmm. talk a little bit about Lenny Bro. But uh, it's nice to get a little bit more in depth. And it's interesting when you talk about uh, cats like Lenny who played other instruments and that had some influence on them. Or listening to you say you play accordion, but then the yeah. other thing about uh, Lenny and we talked about the way he played chords and he because he was way into Bill Evans, right? Yeah, he he. Uh, if you stop and think about how a piano player would play chords, you'd play some notes with this, with your right hand. I'm waving my, that's my right hand, folks. Uh-huh. And with your left hand, you play bass notes. Just kind of an automatic way to do it. Right. Uh, it's not the only thing you're trapped with. So Lenny would do things like play a triad and then add a bass note with his thumb. So the thumb and three fingers kind of sets up like left hand, right hand uh, on piano. So, you know, we all, I think if we have the Mel Bay book play, uh, C major seven this way, and so if you want uh, to add a nine to that, what most people would do is take five out and play one three major seven, and that's the one that's you know in chapter two of the Mel Bay book. But what Lenny would do is leave the third out and leave the five in, and you would now have, and again context would tell you that it was major. So usually we think of the third needing to be there. Uh, but now watch what happens is the rest of that chord is this G, B, E, 1, 3, 5 that's a G triad put the C back in the bass and now it implies a C major 9 even though all the, the third is not there anymore uh, and so when you do that uh, well I'll, I'll show you my favorite thing he ever showed me using this idea so uh, this is to, I'm going to play a G chord and then I'm going to diminish it then I'm going to play an F chord and diminish it, then play an E minor. Oh, wow. So now, watch this. What I did is I went around the circle. Yeah. That way, at the same time, I'm moving that little thing down kind of stepwise. And the way I first heard him do that, uh, when I knew what he was doing, we were at the house, and uh, it was like July, and I had a fireplace here at the condo, and he says, man, like that fireplace, you reminded me of Christmas. And he says, you know, like chestnuts, you know, like an open fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so he started doing this. Uh, and he's, I'm going to play a G chord on top of a C. Then I'm going to play a C chord on top of an F. And then I'm going to play that little progression I just did. And here's how the melody fits there. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Tiny tots with their eyes all closed. And folks dressed up like Eskimos. I can't hear myself with my headphones. Everybody knows. And every one of those, maybe one or two exceptions, is a triad. Like this uh, uh-huh. E is a, is a B triad sitting on top of an E. And then this is a, a an A flat triad sitting on top of a B flat, going to an E flat at the bottom, 
it, a B-flat triazid on top. But they all sound like the chords we know, but they're just little flavors, you know, that you don't expect. Uh, so I, I use that idea a lot. Uh, well, they, they, it, they're very pianoistic sounding, like you said. That's, that's right. kind of that's the way right. piano players, like when I, you know, a, a, a ranger's piano and that sort of thing. But yes. it's also interesting with the way you talk about just like the G over the C. Uh, when I see charts, sometimes I can tell when a guitar player's written it and when a piano player's written it because right. very often you'll write D, you know, C, try it over D. Yeah. Whereas a piano player would write, oh, that's a C sus <laughs> or a D yeah, sus. Right. Things, they're yeah. just different ways of looking at things, but that's actually kind of interesting. And the way you just played it, to me, it doesn't, it really has a unique thing to it, and that was probably what made him get him get his sound together. So yeah, uh, I, it's and there's a lot of I, I, sometimes I use it and it sounds uh, far out, and sometimes I use it and it just sounds rich. Uh -huh. so it, it depends on how you voice it, and uh, and and I hear people say all the time, uh, like guitar players use the words chord substitution, right? And and I I don't think that way too much. Uh, I think of it like voice leading. Uh, and if this this voice leads me in that direction, I'll get an, an unexpected chord, but it's not a substitute chord as much as it's a following a voice. It's a, uh, it, yeah, these inversions, and but I do like that approach. So we're, that's a really good tip. Shashi says uh, you have your special talent for transcribing. She would like to know if you have any tips on how to get better at that or training your ear to do that. We get that question. You've, well, you've got a True Fire channel, which most of the guitar players do. Yours is called the Fingerstyle mm -hmm. Buffet. And uh, I, when I create the show notes for this, if you're listening to the podcast or even if you go watch the videos, there'll be a link to uh, the show notes, and you can find John's channel. But you also have something called uh, your Fingerstyle Quarterly, which is a uh, – I can even make this larger here for the nice people out yeah. there. Uh, it comes out, I'm guessing, quarterly. <laughs> It, well, it, it did. I, I got I created 40 issues, and then mm -hmm. I realized I'd kind of done what I could do. So now it exists as a library. Oh, uh, well, can you tell us about that? Well, what, what really happened is um, I was writing, uh, kind of ghostwriting with Chet, some columns for Guitar Player Magazine. Mm -hmm. And so we would go to his office, and uh, he'd say, what do you want to do this time? And so he'd say, well, I'll, I think I'll tell him about how to, how to do this or how to mm -hmm. do that. And so he would talk and then play, and then I would go home and edit our conversation and transcribe the music and send it in, and guitar player or frets would publish it. Mm -hmm. So we did that for about two years, I guess. Oh, cool. And then when, when he moved on and decided he didn't want to do it anymore, I had this thing of creating columns. Mm -hmm. And so the quarterly really is uh, kind of columns like in a guitar magazine. Uh, no color pictures, no interviews, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and then also, I walked out of Chet's office, I had a cassette of what we'd done so mm. I could listen to it. So I added a cassette from the get-go. Mm. So it always had music, text, and audio to hear. And the audio is both performances and commentary on how to learn the tune or oh. what my ideas were for. And I wanted to share not only how to play the tunes, but how I was thinking, just like you see me doing right now. Mm -hmm. What you see me right doing right now is the podcast version of the quarterly. Yeah. Or the Fingertop Buffet is now with video 
which I didn't have, you know, in the, in the beginning. So well, it's nice <clears throat> your approach here because the, the explaining what you're going to do and then do it is really kind of fascinating for musicians and non-musicians. Like people are just fans of the instrument. It's nice to know that the process behind it and some people are better at explaining what they're doing than others. Some people just play, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I, I yeah. used to study with Victor Feldman <clears throat> and he was amazing. And I would say, Oh, what was that? And he really didn't know. He'd have to go back and see what he did. Whereas suppose I studied with Emil Richards also and he goes, wow, that was really cool. What was that? He goes, oh, I wrote a book on this. <laughs> you know, he would write everything down. <laughs> so it's really nice to hear your uh, approach and when, you, when well, you play these things. I think some of that comes from uh, my detour. You know, after I graduated from high school, uh, they wouldn't let me go to music school because I was a guitar player and that just mm -hmm. wasn't a thing yet. They and told so you I, you couldn't be a music major? That's exactly the words. If oh you play God. a legitimate instrument. Ooh. <laughs> I said, what about Segovia? I said, you're not Segovia, which I wasn't, you know. <laughs> but uh, wow. the, the justice, the cosmic justice there was ultimately they do add guitar to the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And guess who's the first teacher is? One of Ooh, my students. Let me guess. One of my students. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Revenge served cold, right? <laughs> but now you also taught uh, as a guest artist at uh, Berkeley College of Music. That's right. I've been up there several times. When they started branching out to include uh, a lot of finger style, uh, Chet Atkins and Jerry mm -hmm. Reed and that kind of stuff. And uh, the uh, as soon as they started doing that, I was the guy who had been hanging out with all those people. Right. I, real, I realized... Uh, the teaching thing for me, you know, when I when I, I left, well, so I didn't major in music. I majored in physics. So for a while, I become a research scientist, mm. and then I leave that job and go back to music, and I really try hard to build up my uh, teaching chops because mm -hmm. I, I realize it's groceries now, you know, and so, uh, and by that time, I was writing down what the student things for the students to play and. Uh, one of the first things I did was write a book of arrangements that all the teachers at the music store had done for Christmas. Mm -hmm. So it had staples, you know, it had music written out, the whole thing. So I was kind of rehearsing getting a chance to later write things for Chet and Jerry and so forth. So by the time Berkeley adds a lot of that to their curriculum, uh, I've been documenting these other players for maybe 15, 20 years, and uh, it makes me a natural guest because I've seen things. I mean, right. the thing, other thing is, I got to sit in the room with my heroes. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's pretty special. <clears throat> it, it is. It, and it, uh, I think what, when I set out to, and I kind of realized that I was getting into this, uh, like I was 28 maybe, when I decided to be a musician professionally, I, I realized that, um, I think that, well, looking back on it, I, realized I set out to be a better teacher than most players. Mm -hmm. and a better player than most teachers. Not the world's best teacher, not the world's best player, but to up my game in, uh, in both yeah. departments. You know? So with that focus, I think it's helped me, plus who I saw, it's helped me become an explainer and a presenter and okay. a teacher as much as a player. So, Well, speaking of playing, I think it's time for another uh, John Knowles song. And then I've got a couple of good questions from Jim I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw at you. Okay. But, but do you want to play something else for us? Do you have any other tunes in your uh, oh, John oh, yeah. Knowles songbook? Oh. Yeah, I'll tell you, this is one uh, that uh, I heard that uh, Chet and was going to record with George Benson. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I would write a tune that they would record, you know, ah. you, you, get, you get big aspirations, right? Mm -hmm. And I got about halfway through it, and I showed Chet what I had so far, and we finished it up, so we wrote it together. Mm -hmm. They recorded it, 
but the album never got released. Oh. So what you're what you're hearing is something that is now live on the podcast. But this would be one of the handful of archival performances, you know. And uh, <clears throat> this is Lenny Bro's chord changes again, right? You know. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing it like two five one. Right. And then. Then the bridge I wrote like a night and day, you are the one. Those chords. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, and then we wrote the tune, and uh, Chet said it sounds kind of Caribbean. He says, you know, my my granddaughter uh, Amanda was born in Barbados. Well, why don't we call it Amanda from Barbados? So we named it, you know, after his granddaughter. So Amanda from Barbados. Let's see if I can back up a bit and everybody can see me. And I, oh, that's good. I'll cut, I'll cut my forehead off just a little bit here. So, that's yes, it. there we go. All right. so forth you know so the harmony is really kind of designed so that uh yeah, oh, i love i love your audience yes. yeah they're, they're great <laughs> they, they'll clap at just about anything <laughs> they're the best <laughs> i know i think that in a snare drum and i'd be in business wouldn't i <laughs> i have that sample also <laughs> but uh that was, that's really pretty well and, and uh this is one of those things too when i first did it i knew that uh, Chet would enjoy playing that first solo, which mm-hmm. he did, and that George would hear all this, and he would know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was kind of written with uh, those two guys in mind. Um, and I, I can... So I can kind of, you know, noodle around it. So I've become uh, at first a noodler and then something you could almost call an improviser. Uh, I had, so jazz sensibility but I was uh, kind of a developing improviser, I guess mm-hmm. I would say, is the way I would describe myself. Well, I, I want to get back to a couple of questions because some of them has lined up with what anything I was going to ask you also. But let's go because okay. Shashi right. asked the sure. question. The first question was about mm-hmm. uh, getting better at transcribing. Is there a, yes. any tips or tricks to that? Yeah. The, uh, uh, by the time, the, the first giant transcription project I had was uh, an album <clears> called uh, Chet Goes to the Movies. And uh, he sent me the the acetate reference disc, mm-hmm. and I had six weeks to transcribe all of them, you know, for a book. Wow. I think all but about three or four of them. <coughs> Excuse me. And I, I uh, what I did was um, the first thing I remember doing was counting the measures and, and uh, getting some staff paper and drawing bar lines, uh-huh. <laughs> so that I saw. 
how big the project really was. <laughs> and also so that I could say, I'm a tenth of the way through, I'm a half a way through. In other words, markers that I could say progress. Then, I found that there were some things that I could tell pretty much what he was doing. Uh, some of them because I had done some of the arrangements. And so he he wasn't copying what I sent him, but mm -hmm. he was close enough that I could get it, you know. Right. Uh, and then there would be some things I had never heard before. Uh, like in Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I was hearing those harmonics. And I didn't know how to make a harmonic with these two fingers and use your ring finger to play another note. Uh, so... Uh, I got to that. That was in Summer Over the Rainbow, I think. And I phoned him up and I said, I don't know what you're doing. I can hear. And I realized I've heard you do the other recordings. I always just thought it was somebody else. Oh. <laughs> you know? And he said, no. And he described it over the phone and there's this long silence. And he said, you don't got it, do you? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, sleep on it and call me in the morning. You'll get it. Oh. And so I did. I called him the next day. I think, I think I see what you're doing. And so I had to kind of figure out a way to notate that because there was nobody writing it down yet. So I remember putting uh, parentheses, I think, around the, the notes that were, like this uh, E, if you play as a harmonic, you would put the second fret, but you would put parentheses around it, meaning it's an octave harmonic. Mm. And then up above, you would write this note, and you would write it diamond shape to mm -hmm. say it was a harmonic. So what right. you would hear, it looked like this, but when you play it on the guitar, it looks you know I back see. and forth across funny strings, you know, that's what was throwing me about it as much. So there were things like that. And then there are other times when um, I just heard things I wasn't used to hearing. And uh, I would listen and listen and listen and just think about it. And then I would write down two measures, leave a blank measure, go to the next measure. I left blank measures where mm. well, it was mystified. And so uh, little by little, if you play the part that leads up to that, something begins to I see. Unraveled. You kind of see what surrounds it. It must be this, or I couldn't have gotten from there to there. You know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, if you go way back, and before I sit down to work on this giant project, uh, I have done this. So I'm going to play an A, and I'm going to pretend that's the first note of the scale, and I know what the second note of the scale sounds like this, and I know it's located here, and so I know if I put my finger here, I'll hear the fourth note of the scale. I taught myself to play the scale and sing along, and I can play them in any order. I can skip around. And that way I'm kind of teaching my ear and my fingers to be locked onto each other. Uh, I'll have to say, uh, I irritated the Dickens out of my family uh, playing uh, things like and so forth, you know. Yeah. My, my, my hot dog has a first name, it's OSC, all those things. Uh, yeah, it is an interesting <clears throat> thing to think when you do ear training sometimes. I say, come up with the simplest song you know and just try to play it. Try yeah. to, and trust your ears. So you're, that's a really good practical application of what you're doing there. So, But I'll just add one other thing in that for Shashi, anybody else that's transcribing. There's some amazing software out there now. Which oh, will, gosh, yeah. you can slow it down to any speed and maintain the same pitch. Because back in the day when you had a, we used to have these tape recorders that could do at half speed, but everything was then down an octave. <laughs> and so it would be really <laughs> mushy. But now there's all these, these helpful ones that, that can do that sort of thing. Uh, let's see. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah like, my, I, will, I will say my transcription version of walking to school in the snow uphill both ways would have been that I listened until I could play it over and over in my mm-hmm. head and slow it down. So the slow downer software mm-hmm. was repetition and brain power. Yeah, it's like we talked about earlier. The, you know, the only shortcut is to spend all day doing it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Now, I, I, I hope that helps with that, and that's a good thing. And I, I do you think transcribing is how valuable is that for? Well, for me, uh, it gave. Well, first of all, I learned a lot of what Chet was really doing. I was close before, mm-hmm. and now I, I, I knew when it was going to be in a book. I couldn't settle for close anymore. Right. And 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 the standard I set for myself is. This is going to be the book I wish I had when I was 15 years old. Mm. And so when you do that, you know, you, you have a, there's kind of a benchmark for not accepting shoddy work. The other thing about Chet, when anybody was around him, uh, it was kind of like being in a session with like Abe Lincoln or something. You know, yeah. you, just, you just knew you had to bring your A game. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't rag on you, but he just kind yeah. of walked into the room and, and, and the floor lifted and the air got rare. You know? <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. Uh, well, let's move on. Jim has a bunch of questions. He he asked about the the neck on your guitar is a classical yeah. neck, right? And then yeah. Bunny came in and said yes. And you also played nylon strings. That's right. And so, uh, growing up, I should have sent you a photo of me uh-huh. as a teenager in that Hawaiian band with my orange Gretsch uh, and my thumb pick, uh, mm-hmm. because I went through all that. And it's really when I'm about 28, and I'm teaching at a music store where almost everybody is a classical player. Mm. So I picked up a really good classical and took off my thumb pick. And then some really good classical players started hanging out in Dallas. And so Christopher Parkinson came and did a workshop. Uh, the Romero family visited a lot. Before long, I really was playing classical stuff, and my technique had moved over to be more classical. But the music I was playing was not classical music, you know. Mm. Uh, Christopher Parkinson would always say, show me how you're doing that Beatle tune, you know. So everybody was interested in what I did. But uh, they were all still being classical players. And, right. I, and I love that classical music, but I knew also that at, to take it up at 28, I wasn't going to have a career as a, as a classical guitarist. But right. there's a, a real chunk of time when I am surrounded by and immersed in classic guitar. So well, thumb picking from, not from vinyl, mm-hmm. classic guitar immersion, big assignment from Chet is kind of... <laughs> Yeah, now how stepping stones there. how important or how much can you say this just understanding different styles influences the John Knowles we know today? Uh, what you hear today is all of that, mm-hmm. uh, technically and musically. Um, if I uh, well, I'll, I'll play a little bit of another composition. Okay, I love it. <laughs> so this is one. This is just a three voice. Uh, I played this thing in progress for Chet. He said, he says, you're going to dedicate this to your Welsh ancestors, aren't you? <laughs> Whatever that meant. <laughs> it sounded English and European to him, you know, so. Turning home, uh, but you can hear there's three voices moving around like a classical piece, you know. Mm-hmm. And then here's me playing Jerry Reed. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not I'm not muting like this like you would if you were playing with a thumb pick. So everything I'm doing sounds slightly different than than most thumb picking finger players. Well, there, there, uh, one of the comments we had, Jim wanted to know he liked. I know John did some Jerry Reed transcriptions. He'd like to see if you have any comments you have about Jerry. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about oh, him? Oh, man. Well, <laughs> so the thing about Nashville, you know, so I moved to Nashville. I'm teaching in a music school, which is in a building on Music Row. One door, two doors, three doors, cross mm-hmm. street, two more doors, Jerry Reed's office. <laughs> you know, two more blocks, Chad's yeah. office. Wow. So in between, you know, I was going back and forth. And by that time, I had... Um, actually written a tune that Jerry had recorded. Because I'd learned how to write lyrics a long time ago, when I was 12 or 13, I guess. But I would, I would get more Jerry go, I'm a red hot picker, a hot leg licker, bigger, bigger, what do you know? I'm a time bomb ticker, maybe even quicker. Stand back, because here I go. And so he recorded that song, so mm-hmm. he and I kind of knew each other. And... Uh, and I told him I wanted to write a book of his tunes. And he said, hey, man, that's great. What tunes are you thinking about doing? And I said, well, the, the Claw and Strutton and you know, the Blue Finger, some of the ones we all know. And he said, yeah, that's great. He said, uh, he says, do it and show me what you got. And I said, well, I was hoping you would show me. How to, I ain't showing you nothing. <laughs> you, you learn them and I'll tell you if you're right. <laughs> so I sat down just like I did before and learned the tunes. And... Um, and I, I sh- Chet could play some of them, so I got him to show me how to play mm-hmm. Strutton. And then I sat down and showed him to Jerry, and he said, oh, do that again? Couldn't be that. He said, that's too hard. If it was that hard, I wouldn't have done it. Oh. <laughs> hand, me the, hand me that guitar, and then he would play it. You know? That's how, <laughs> how, how I got to see him play him. Was he, I would make a mistake. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing, because you got to hang out with your idols, you know, and that oh, sort of man. stuff. And uh, yeah. not everybody gets to do that. I mean, like I said, some of these, these camps we do, you guys, the, the campers, as we call them, the attendees get to hang out with you yeah. guys. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess today the kind of modern version of that is all the videos, your True Fire channel. And some of the good Joe Robinson's been on the show. He's got a True Fire channel. So is Vinny Raniolo and uh, Pat Kelly. They all have these True Fire mm-hmm. channels. Uh, and then I guess there's all these videos on YouTube to get up close and watch what somebody's doing. It, of course, it's not the same thing as interacting. But uh, well, I, I think that. But you're right. I think uh, the idea of the channel, you know, it's a little bit like the quarterly, except it's mm-hmm. got video and it's got feedback. Uh, okay. People can say, oh, "You did this. How did you do that? Can you show me more about this?" Oh, and, and so you, it's are, being designed in real time. Whereas the quarterly, was, I did uh-huh. it and I put it in the mail, and that was it. You know, so. So I just on Truefire because I haven't. I don't play guitar, so I haven't been on it yet. But so they watch a video and they can ask specific questions about the video, yeah. and you mm-hmm. get back yeah. to them. On it. Oh, that's very cool. That seems like such a, a much more kind of in between a private lesson and, you know, just watching a regular. Yeah, and I can even add, and I haven't done this yet with my channel because I'm still trying to figure it out. I can add uh, a private lesson, which means you would make a video of you playing something and it would upload to the Truefire site. Mm. And then I could watch you play it and I could make comments and give you tips. So it wouldn't be a real time lesson. It would be, you know, your time and my time and then because you could see both things. And then I think you have the option of deciding if we want to leave that your video and my comments up there for the group oh, or whether you want it to, to remain private. So, And I would encourage people to say, you know, let's let's go for it. And so it may be that you've learned a piece on True Fire, but it may be that you're composing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't figured out exactly how to do that part yet. But uh, And then we could also 
it, it's got a kind of a podcasty component mm -hmm. that, that you can add, which would be maybe five players get together and all this week oh. we decide we're going to play this Jerry Reed tune. I see. And so, so everybody could play it, and I could do comments and show you what I've learned. So it's, it's a it's, it's a growing platform. We're all deciding, you know, what to do with it and how to really use it. Well, one, the thing that really strikes me that's great about that is, and one thing I know about you and, and conversations we've had over the past so many years is you like to hear somebody play and, oh, then, yeah. and then get into the discussion with them about what they're doing and what they're not doing. And I think that sort of thing is invaluable. And also uh, the posting of a student's video with your comments, because sometimes you learn a lot watching somebody else be instructed. Oh, I you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I do that, or I didn't even think about asking that. <laughs> I know. It's a great, what a great format. So maybe we and, need to do something. To watch, uh, that's the classical music masterclass is what that is, mm -hmm. uh, where one student gets up, you know, right. 30 students are watching, the student plays, the teacher coaches and makes mm -hmm. observations, but you get to watch without being on the griddle, you know. Yeah. And uh, I took a class like that in uh, Spain. Segovia was supposed to be the teacher, but he wasn't there. He was sick. And uh, his teaching assistant, uh, Jose Tomas, was the best cl teaching classical player I was ever around because he would really make shrewd observations. And then he would turn around to the class and repeat his observations in Greek and Japanese wow. and French. <laughs> you know, wow. he, and so like a whole class, whoever was there. And then also he would tell jokes and then he'd repeat the joke in several languages. Wow. Know? I wonder, yeah, I was curious how jokes translate anyway. But uh, we're kind of getting close to the end here. We can go a little bit longer yeah, but, because there's a sure. couple of things else I wanted to talk to you about. And one of them was just uh, like we talked about learning other instruments, but also taking your mind into new directions to learn something non-music related that has the effect on you. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, I actually have something. I think I have it sitting here. Do yeah, I have do. It? Let me grab it. Okay. Yeah, I do. So I wanted to uh, write out music, you know. Right. And there was there was no music software yet. And so the community college where I was teaching, uh, there was a woman teaching calligraphy, you know, the fancy hand lettering. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that and I thought, if you just did this, it would look like a rest and a clef sign and all that kind of stuff. So I took a calligraphy class and taught myself to write, you know, like an old monk would have done in the old days. And I did uh, the first page of Genesis for my dad, the preacher. Ah. Uh, and and you can see what I've done there is you have to teach yourself uh, spacing, repetition, phrasing, rhythm. It's all it's all musical elements, but they're there visually, not not orally, you know. Right. And uh, so now by the time I did this, so my first three or four books, if y'all some of y'all have like Jet Goes to the Movies or or the Lenny Bro Fingerstyle Jazz, if you mm -hmm. look at it, it's not typeset, that's my handwriting. Oh wow. So I, taught, I, I wrote like three books like that. And then when Finale Software finally came out, I thought, thank goodness. <laughs> now, did you do it? Because I took those classes in yeah. college, Big Ben Radio. We had to write it on that kind of half transparent paper. Yes, yes. With a, the kind of pen you dipped in ink and did these things yes. with. And oh boy, yes. it was, I forget what they called that stuff. It was, it was crazy. It yeah. was crazy. And the difficult. pen was shaped kind of like a screwdriver, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where if you drew a line this way, it was thick. And, but if you do it thin. this way, it was thin. And then if you made a gesture, it would go from thick to thin. And if you look at things like a quarter note rest, you know, it's mm -hmm. thick, thin, yeah. thick, thin, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it really is a, it's it, a, an art. It's a, you know, now everything's computer notated and, and uh, people expect that to be that clean. So the other I, I think that 
Go ahead. But there's something else I would say, you know, out there to everybody is there's something right now that everybody can't do yet. Mm-hmm. Learn to do it, you know, because I, I've never learned anything that didn't show up useful to me in some in some way. What? Uh, my math math background, my physics background, my music theory. I mean, I don't think about theory all the time. Mm-hmm. Just like when you go to the store, you don't say, I'm going to go to the grocery store and let's see, what's some nouns I could buy? You don't do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know those are nouns. <laughs> you know? No, that's a, that's a really good point. It's funny. Years ago, if I people would sometimes ask, if you had one question, what would it be? And I always asked, what non musical experience in your life had the greatest effect on your musical life? And the variety of answers was just mind blowing. Do you do you have an answer to that? Can I ask that I'd, question? I'd, I'd say it's a tie between. Uh, studying uh, theoretical physics, mm-hmm. uh, which gave me the ability to, you know, visualize big things that, that were complicated and break them up into little parts and work your way through it. Uh, that really helped me when I started transcribing, I think, you know. And the other thing would be to study another art form, like calligraphy or painting or pottery, whatever you know, as you want to do, because what you'll realize is that there are principles of design, principles of beauty, uh, grace, phrasing, breath, and when you study those things away from your guitar, when you return to the guitar, you try to bring those same uh, things to it. And so those, that, that's, I think, studying something besides the guitar and looking to see how it applies. As they would say on Sesame Street, one of these things is more like the other than you think. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's great. Uh, I guess we should, uh, I have another little clip, and it's a short one. It's the happy birthday clip. <laughs> this is crazy, John. This is this is silly me, mm-hmm. uh, and it, that's my real birthday. And so I did this on my birthday. So go ahead. Okay. So for those of you out there who have noticed in the last hour what a serious, serious person John is, <laughs> this may come as a little bit of a shock to you. But I'm going to play it anyway. But I just, you know, just be prepared for a little uh, the other side of John. Here we go. gift I ever received was a guitar 64 years ago. We played a few tunes, worn out some strings, many years to go. I know you'll still need me, I know you'll still feed me. We've got 64 years and counting, we've got 64. That's great. <laughs> so that, that really was the birthday. It was the 64th anniversary of when I bought that ukulele. Wow. And, so, and the 12th day of Christmas really is my birthday, so I took three songs and smushed them together. But I've always kind of had it. As a matter of fact, I really honor my goofy streak a lot when I'm working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't always show up in the result. But, <laughs> gee, I wonder what would happen if I did this. I wonder what would happen if I did that. Uh, is, is a big part of it. Uh, can I tell one quick chat yeah, story? Yeah, uh, Sure. We were, he had, uh, had an idea to write a tune, a Christmas tune, and he said, he, 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 I remember him doing this, East Tennessee Christmas, called unto me, and that's, he showed me that much, and then we were going to write the rest of it, and I think back on it, look what he was doing, jolly old St. Nicholas, lean your ear this way, it's almost that, 
You know, so mm-hmm. he's kind of set it up right. And then we got to the middle part, and uh, he was calling East Tennessee Christmas, calling to me. And we got to the middle part, and I said, well, we could write it like the unwhite Christmas song, you know, like you never know if it's going to snow in Tennessee. I said, it might snow. And he came back with, don't you know, which is an expression he used all the time. He just said that. that this is a, a good meal, don't you know? So it might snow, but don't you know that I don't care? So that was him just kind of giving that flip response, and that ends up in the lyrics to that song, our Christmas song, East Tennessee Christmas. So he was like that all the time, that kind of crazy side. And you honor your crazy side, but then you try and refine it and put it, you know, in a in a context, your musical voice context. Oh, that's great. That's great. Let me uh, get back here. Okay, that's that's fantastic. I'm putting the uh, the tip jar links up one more time, but I also want to ask all of you nice people out there to like the video and thumbs up or subscribe to us. It really helps push these videos up higher in the search engines and all that sort of stuff. So if you're enjoying it, just click like or love or share or heart, whatever. You know, each format has its own different thing. You know, like I said, we do have the podcast and these things are up. If you tell your friends, we're we're kind of a small grassroots uh, channel and every little bit helps. And uh, I'm reading a book now on marketing and his whole thing is word of mouth. You know, it's yeah. just word of mouth is the best, but surprisingly, only 7% of word of mouth is done online. The rest of it's actually in person. So if you have friends that are uh, fans of the guitar or oh, jazz, yes. please tell them about our channel. You know, we'd <laughs> love to get more people. Uh, this is great. Uh, and I just, but the one last topic I want to get into, mm-hmm. which is something you and I have talked about, is, is, is learning. Uh, the difference yeah. between learning as an adult versus when we learn as a child. And I think, you know, uh, well, not, this isn't the last question, but I want to talk about this. And we're going to go long tonight because we're having such a good time. <laughs> uh, but I have one question after that about music in general. But what do you, what can you, I know you have thoughts on the, the difference in learning between being a child and being an adult. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one thing, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, I was fearless. And I had what appeared to be all the time in the world. You know, and so you kind of jump in there and you just kind of dig your way through it and and you get there or you get close. Anyhow, you know, mm-hmm. as an adult, I found myself uh, with uh, a, a new set of skills to bring to my learning. And one of them was to be uh, analytical and by critical, I don't mean criticize, but I mean factual. You know, if I if I do this. And this note goes, it buzzes because I leaned over the fret. Then I say, I did that chord and that note buzzed. That's just a fact. That's me being critical of myself. So I have to figure out how to make my little finger behave a little better. And so I come up with exercises where my little finger might. It's just something where I'm trying to make my little finger be kind of a lead instead of a follower. So as an adult, I was able to kind of, and I also asked myself as an adult, the question is, if I could improve one thing, uh, what would the thing be that would make the biggest difference in the overall result? And inevitably there's something, if you fix that one thing, it fixes two or three neighboring things, you know, whether it's landing on time or not buzzing or, you know, whatever it is. The uh, So I, I think there's a lot of that kind of, analytical, reflective thinking that I brought to it as an adult. Uh, the other thing I realized as an adult that you, you hear all the time as a kid, be sure and learn it right the first time because it's really hard to change. And I'm here to tell you there is no such thing as learning it right the first time. 
Think about how you learn how to talk, you learn how to talk wrong, and then you fix it. You learn how to walk wrong, and then you fix it. You learn how to ride a bicycle wrong, and then you fix it. So I will tell you, whatever you've learned so far, it is insufficient to your next step. So get ready to unlearn something and replace it with something you now recognize as more refined, more elegant, and ultimately easier because it's a better way to do it. So uh, I think that whole thing of uh, knowing that uh, the door to getting better is open to anyone who will um, sit down and, matter of fact, right now I'm sitting in what I call the chair, and um, the chair is where I go to play music, it's where I go to practice, it's where I go to compose, but usually when I perform, I go to a chair. So anytime I'm in the chair, I'm doing serious work, nothing casual happens uh, in the chair. It doesn't mean I don't have fun. Um, if I can tell one more Chet quote, uh, uh, people at Fretz Magazine mailed questions for Chet, and we turned on the cassette player and I read the questions, and then he gave the answers, and um, one of the questions is, uh, how do you make yourself practice? And Chet's response was, is that a real question? <laughs> And I said, it's a real question. He said, well, then I better answer it. And he thought a minute and he said, it helps if you love it. So there we are. Don't forget how much you love this because it actually is the biggest uh, motivator out there. Uh, the fact that you'll be so happy when you can play your music more elegantly. Uh, for your First for your delight and then for the delight of others, you know. So That's great. <laughs> That's that's great advice. I, I almost feel, but I, I do want to ask one other thing. Yeah. And it, like we talk about casually, you and I have several times, just about any thoughts on listening to music. Oh yeah, uh, I I I think that uh, I listen to a lot of music that's not guitar music, uh, and I might listen. Uh, Tommy and I were saying the other day, you know, we might listen to Frank Sinatra. Because, number one, he's a great singer, but also he hires good arrangers. Mm -hmm. So you get to hear good harmony, you get to hear good voicing, you get to hear good bass parts. And so now, when you come to your instrument, you've got a, a kind of a catalog of... It's kind of like if you want to cook, go to a good restaurant, you know, and see what they're doing, and then come home and say, so how could I do that uh, in my own modest way? You know, you will not replicate mm -hmm. what they're doing, but you come back with uh, inspired with ideas and so forth. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, go to a concert with somebody who knows that music. Who you go, go to the good stuff. If you got, if I've got good friends, I love to go hear an orchestra play with. You know, uh, if I've got friends in town, I know whether to take them to hear this guy or that guy. Uh, back in the day when you could do that, of course, all the time. So I would say that, um, and I listen to all kind of music I'll never be able to play. And then every now and then I say, maybe I could play that, or maybe there's an idea I could steal from that. Um, another effect that has on me is when I'm playing, sometimes I don't think I'm a guitar. Uh, sometimes I think I'm a choir or an orchestra or a pipe organ. I try not to think I'm a bagpipe, you know, but <laughs> may maybe I am sometimes. But anyhow, what I'm saying is those other, the ways of sounding uh, show up in the way uh, I visualize uh, playing music. Uh, I, yeah, that's, I think that's. That's that. Well, that's great. And uh, I want to thank you, John. We're going to give a big hand to John for being here. Thank you, John. Oh, yes. <laughs> the audience, boy, they love you. Uh, oh, and I want to say thank you to everybody out there that's listening, everybody that's listening on the podcast. You know, thank you for doing that. 
Uh, I'm going to try to get that out this week, but I may be slowed down by the holiday weekend and uh, things coming up. John, you've been fantastic. Your stories are great. It's funny. This We've been on for an hour and 15 minutes, and I think I've got an hour's <laughs> worth of clips to uh, <laughs> to play throughout the next few months. But uh, oh, that's great. Jim uh, says, uh, this was a great Live at Zero broadcast. Thank you, Jim. Shashi says, bagpipe, yikes. Hey, don't knock the bagpipe till you've really heard a great person play the bagpipes. Well, I, I, said, I said that, but I also remember... Uh, when uh, we had the burial service for Chet, mm. we were all there graveside, and uh, there's a southern tradition that each person takes a shovel of dirt and puts it on the coffin. We're all kind of standing there, and all of a sudden, across the field, bagpipes playing wow. Amazing Grace. Wow. Chet had asked for that, you know, so pretty pretty moving. So in the right circumstance, bagpipes, yes. So in the right circumstances, you are a bagpipe. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, I would Thanks say thank so you. so much. Oh, gosh. Sure, I'm going to play the <laughs> outro video, and then hopefully we will see you all uh, very soon. Okay? Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. I, I will talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us at Live at Zero BPM. These videos will be archived on YouTube and Facebook, so tell your friends. These Jazz Roundtable shows will also be released as a podcast, so please subscribe. Go to live at zeropm.com for details and to sign up for our mailing list. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon.